You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Locked On Hornets. Find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson LOH. Also find Nada on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. Only going to be myself today. I'm going to be writing solo. Going to get to another player eval. Got MKG up on the docket today, so we'll go down what he did this season. Look at the past, the present, the future of MKG's legacy here in Charlotte, if you can call it a legacy, but just what he's done with the city of Charlotte and the Hornets franchise. And also, we'll talk about the NBA playoffs last night. Just a phenomenal game from the Oklahoma City Thunder and Portland Trailblazers series. And Dame, that shot was unbelievable. I was not up to watch it live because I have to wake up extremely early in the morning. It's one of the downsides, one of the many downsides of waking up early in the morning, up at about 4.30, I guess, for me. But not getting to see Dame Lillard, that's going to be the one that hurts. Not getting to watch a lot of Western Conference basketball, but not getting to see that shot live, that one hurts. And getting to watch it afterwards, getting the highlight, watching Dame wave off the Oklahoma City Thunder, just an insane shot, 37 feet. And how incredible was that? Just unbelievable. I want to get into that as well as some of the other series. We do have a second round that seems to be shaping up. We don't have Golden State decided yet, although it does seem like they're going to either win tonight and eventually move on from the Clippers, but they'll certainly move on and play what we also think is going to be the Houston Rockets in the second round. Utah would have to come back from a 3-1 deficit in order to do so. So it does seem that we can pretty safely predict it's going to be Golden State and Houston. Also, we got to figure out that Denver and San Antonio series. Denver now with a 3-2 lead over the San Antonio Spurs, going back to San Antonio for the Spurs to tie it up. So we'll see exactly what happens in that one. That one really the only one that's really left all that much up in the air. So one of the more exciting first-round series, just because it might actually go seven games. Certainly, I think we could all see the Spurs win that one. Just want to get down the NBA playoff docket as well for what's going on tonight. I want to start off the show today, though. We usually do it with evals. I want to start off the show today by saying a friendly goodbye to Pete Gwilly, the executive chief operating officer of the Charlotte Hornets, who oversaw the brand and the transition of Charlotte's NBA team from the Charlotte Bobcats back to the Charlotte Hornets in 2014. He's leaving the team for a job with the New York Giants. So his last day as the Hornets chief operating officer is going to be May 10th. And you've heard him come on the show a couple of times marketing the all-star game that came here in 2019, just this past season. A couple of different things that Pete Gwilly has been a part of. And just a friendly goodbye to him. He's been great. He's always been such a delight to deal with. And I'll tell you, any time that we would have him on the show, I think we've had him on maybe a couple of times that you guys have heard of since I've been on the show. He would always want to talk about the Charlotte Hornets before and after. So even afterwards, we'll, we'll record the interview. And Pete Gwilly will be great during the interview. Just tell you about all the information that's going on, all of the different classic nights that they have. We would get him on to promote that and get everybody all the Hornets fans out to the Spectrum Center to go check that out but even after the interview was done I would give the goodbye and then I would go off air and then say goodbye again in an informal manner and he would always want to talk about the Charlotte Hornets and just what's going on in my life and just what's going on with the podcast and genuinely interested in it and that always went a long way with me 
You know, Pete Gwilly didn't have to do that. He always was interested in just how the podcast was doing and also just wanted to know how I was doing, Doug, as well. You know, he would want to talk about the product on the floor. So Pete Gwilly is a New York guy. He's leaving for the New York Giants job. He did have a job for a long time with the Buffalo Bills, and so he is a New York guy. He grew up a New York Giants fan. In fact, you can read on the article that Rick Bennell wrote in the Charlotte Observer. It's got a lot of information on him, but he did genuinely love the product out there on the floor for the Charlotte Hornets and had done a fantastic job. I mean, think about everything that the Charlotte Hornets entail. One, it's not a very good product on the court. It's mediocre, right? I mean, we've been here. We're Charlotte Hornets fans. We understand what it is when those guys step out on the court. It's a lot of Kimba Walker and nothing else. And so it's been a godsend, I'm sure, for Pete Willie to be able to market Kemba Walker and have people come out to the games to go see the star. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of wins that you can account for. You know, since Pete Willie has been a part of this team, we can go to the Bobcats and the Hornets when they came back. There's not a playoff series win. We got close with the Miami Heat in 2016, but that's all we really have to hang on to as far as any kind of playoff contention. That was the closest we got to a series win, and that's tough to market a team like that. And so when Gwilly was hired as the team's COO in April of 2009, he charged boosting ticket sales. He let those go up quite a bit. And the season before Gwilly started, the Bobcats, then owned, of course, by Bob Johnson, they ranked 27th out of the 30 teams in the NBA in attendance. And the team had just under 5,000 season ticket holders at the time. And so now, nine years later, Michael Jordan, of course, bought that team, the majority stake in the team. And the Hornets are now up to number 23, coincidentally, in league attendance. And season ticket sales have more than doubled since he became a part of this franchise. And I just think from a personal standpoint, the thing that I enjoyed the most was all of the not crazy marketing strategies, but the interesting ones, right? How great was it to have Big Al's paint can go across all of the media and a a lot of them for fans to get as well? When they were trying to get Al Jefferson, maybe it was an all-star spot. I forget what they were trying to promote for him, but it was Big Al's paint. And that was the marketing strategy for Pete Gwilly, the mastermind behind it. Of course, he and his team. But also Kimball Walker, them trying to get him the most improved player of the year award a couple years back. That was huge for them. Making t-shirts. I still have my t-shirt. Trying to get Kimball Walker to be an all-star. Making sure that they put a ton of resources into marketing him as well. You know, having the Frank Kaminsky Star Wars bobblehead. I remember Pete saying that Frank Kaminsky was down for a lot of the different marketing strategies. And he had a lot of interesting stuff that I thought was great. And also these classic nights that he and the team were able to put together. It's really tough. And we mentioned this on our Twitter feed at Locked on Hornets. We tweeted this out. It's really tough to try to bring back a brand that was so iconic, at least for the city of Charlotte. We all know the brand, the purple and teal, the logo. The starter jacket. We all know how everybody loved that, not just here in Charlotte, but throughout the country. You know, people understand the logo's awesome. And so it's really tough to try to bring something back from that time period and also embrace the future of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. That also was a time where they were just better at basketball. You know, you think of Muggsy, you think of Zoe, you think of Larry Johnson. You know, they were at least getting out of the first round of the NBA playoffs with those teams. And we can all remember the Zoe shot against the Boston Celtics. I mean, it reminds you of a better time, but also it's just because it looked damn good. I mean, the jerseys were sick. 
And so to bring all of that back and have that be a part of a classic night, but also, you know, kind of rebrand a little bit to the point where you have a little bit more intimidating looking Hornet. I think those logos are good. I haven't seen too many people knock the new logos that they've had of the new bees, the new Hornets. So Pete Gwilly just making all of that work, just hats off to him and congratulations to him on an incredible opportunity. You know, he says that it's just too good of a job to pass up going back home, working with the New York Giants organization. Just hats off to him because he's done a lot where there's not been a good product on the court, or at least it's been a mediocre product on the court, where you've only had to work with Kimba as far as what your biggest marketing chip was. For him to bring back as much as he possibly could from that old franchise and also embrace the new, have everybody as fans come out and enjoy as much as they could, so congrats to Pete Gwilly on heading over to the New York Giants organization, and congratulations on a job well done here. We're going to miss you. You know, Pete Gwilly was a great dude, and he did a lot of good things for the Charlotte Hornets franchise. We'll take a quick timeout. Just wanted to give Pete his due and his time here for the Charlotte Hornets. We'll move on and do some more player evaluations. We've got MKG up next, and then after that, it's more on the NBA playoffs. We appreciate you joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We're doing it live from the Essex Home Studios in Uptown Charlotte, a part of 730 The Game, but also want to give a quick shout-out to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, Visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We'll be back with an MKG evaluation next. It's LOH on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but... Is that, is they, that the they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night they didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on lockedonhornets.com. Are you in your car a lot driving to work driving the kids around? If you have a smart device in your car, and more and more of you do now, tell your smart device to play Locked on Hornets. Don't fumble around with your phone and Bluetooth. Just say play Locked on Hornets and make drive time LOH time. So we've gone through Tony Parker. We've evaluated Bismack Biombo, gone through the present, along with the past and the future. So let's move on to MKG, who has now been with the Charlotte Hornets, the slash Charlotte Hornets slash Charlotte Bobcats, if you will. He's been with this franchise for seven seasons now. Only 25 years old, which is crazy. I remember when Bismack Biombo was drafted. It was like the first NBA player that was drafted where I was older than him. I think MKG kind of falls into that category as well. It was like one of the first couple of guys where I was older than him. It hit me like hell. But watching MKG the last seven seasons, you know, he hasn't lived up to the number two overall draft billing. He just simply hasn't. I don't think anybody would argue that fact. He's done some decent things. Defensively is what he's known for. Offensively in transition, he's good, but that's about it. You know, you're not giving the basketball to MKG and saying, here, go get a bucket, which is something I think you would most like your number two overall player to do that you drafted. And so now MKG, what you look at in his past, of course, drafted second overall, like I said, ahead of Bradley Beal. So now he's a Charlotte Bobcat at that moment, and you're continuing to develop him. Hopefully he's able to develop a jump shot enough 
to where he'll be an offensive weapon for you, just not only inside transition. And you look at what he's did this season as he gets to 2019. James Borrego, new head coach coming in for Steve Clifford after he's gone. Steve Clifford fails to make the playoffs last season. It was the second year in a row that they failed to make the playoffs. And so they bring in James Borrego, and Borrego has some new ideas for what he's going to do with MKG. So he was thrust into a bench roll at the beginning of the season and seemed receptive enough to it when addressing the media. Didn't have any problems. And we can remember in July, during that summer league in Las Vegas, Nick Batum mentioned on Twitter that he anticipated moving from shooting guard to small forward to accommodate Jeremy Lamb or even Malik Monk when at that time we were discussing whether Malik Monk would get that starting job. So that ended up moving MKG to the Hornets' second unit. And it also meant that he was going to play power forward. And so that was a position that MKG hadn't played with the Charlotte Hornets before. But MKG, it seemed like he embraced it. He was fine with it. You know, I remember in media day, he said he was okay with it, that he just wanted this team to win. He would do whatever he could to help this team win. And that's the, that's the type of guy MKG is. I don't think anybody dislikes the character. You know, everybody loves the motor. He's 100% all the time. I think the defense has kind of faltered here and there a couple of times the last two seasons, more so than it had before. But MKG still a very good defender in this league. And so he embraced it. He went to the bench and was fine. And remember, at the beginning of the year, he was good. And he was valuable. We talked about this either sometime earlier this week or last week, that MKG was a good basketball player. He was valuable at the beginning of the season. And then eventually, you just saw him kind of wither away. It was a subtle decline for him. Well, MKG, we can remember his defense against the Milwaukee Bucks. Remember, that was a win that they had. It was one of their only trophy wins on the season. It was the second time they had played. It was here at the Spectrum Center. MKG, I remember, I forget who it was that took the shot, but at the top of the key, desperation three, MKG's all over it. MKG locked down everybody, was fantastic on defense, and it helped the Charlotte Hornets win that basketball game. Oh, you can go back even offensively. MKG was contributing at that point in time. At the beginning of the season, he was giving you double-digit point games here and there. You know, the first two games of the season, he gives you 10 and 12 against the Bucks and the Magic. Gives you 15 on October 26th against the Bulls in that victory. Gives you 14 in the second victory against the Miami Heat. You know, shot 50% in all of these, of course, because it's really pretty much right at the rim. You know, gave you 10 points against Cleveland, 12 points against Philadelphia in early November. 11 against Utah, a couple of 12-point games back-to-back in the middle of December, and then you go a long time before he goes double digits again from February 9th to where it would pop up somewhat frequently, you know, here and there. Not a guy that averaged 10 points a game this season, but you go from February 9th, he got 11 against Atlanta, and then the next time you would have to see him get double figures, it was April 5th. And remember, that was when... He had gotten out of the rotation, was right around March. Just didn't play at all in March. You see him, he only played six games in March. Just six games. And in those six games, he never got more than 16 minutes. He had a couple of games where he's had eight minutes against Golden State, eight eight minutes against the Lakers. And this is when they were going to the young guys, so perhaps it's not fair to single him out, but it's also a, a time when... He could have been getting as much minutes as some other guys that were veterans on this team. Of course, short of Akimba Walker. But remember, Frank Kaminsky 
stepped in and had a very good game against the Brooklyn Nets. Also had a really good game against the Portland Trailblazers. And they decided to let Frank Kaminsky stay in, and that kind of took away some playing time from MKG. Miles Bridges never faltered. You know, there were some times where he wouldn't be as much implemented in the rotation, but MKG was out for some time. And so now you look at MKG's future, a $13 million player option. MKG at the end of the season, in the exit interviews, said he values happiness more than he values money. And you know what's funny? Nobody believed it when Bismack Biombo was discussing he had to figure out whether he was going to opt in in his player option or not. Like $17 million, he's going to opt in. It's ridiculous to think he wouldn't. And sure enough, he did. You know, Marvin Williams didn't leave all that much to the imagination. He told us pretty quickly that he was going to opt into his player option. And so Nick Batum isn't going to, I mean, look, Nick Batum has another year and a player option, and we all know that he's going to accept that player option with whatever team that he's on, presumably the Charlotte Hornets. But MKG, we, like, we all just think, of course, they're going to opt in the player options for a couple of these other guys that had that option at the end of their contract. MKG might be a little bit of a different story. Now, I believe MKG when he says that, that he's valuing happiness over money. And I think happiness comes with his role on a basketball team. You know, James Borrego just did not utilize him like Steve Clifford did, where MKG was going to start and he was going to be put on the primary score for the other team, whatever wing option it was. And he was going to help you out defensively in that regard. You know, Borrego decided that they needed a little bit more of an offensive punch and MKG would sit the bench for quite a while even though he was kind of valuable at the beginning of the season. So now James Borrego moving on from him. MKG said it was hard. I remember an article that Rick wrote covering the team right when MKG was getting sent to the bench. He asked Kid Gilchrist if this was the first time that he ever sat the bench before, if he had ever just not played in the game. And he said it was the first time ever, not just at Kentucky, not just in the NBA. It was the first time since he's been playing organized basketball. And so that's got to be tough. Somebody that was the second overall selection, you don't want to be sat on the bench the entire time not getting any run whatsoever. You know, you do a stats breakdown and what he did this season compared to what he's done in the past. You know, it's three less points a game really than what was his career average. He had been giving you nine, 10 and 12 one year, 10, uh, it was 12 points when he was only playing that seven games that he played in 2015, 2016 and got injured but really sat about nine points per game his entire career, only at 6.7 this year. You know, you look at the per 36-minute stats that he had, they're all pretty similar. Field goal percentage, pretty similar. Effective field goal percentage, pretty similar. The one thing, we, we talked about it, and we joke about it because it was such useless information. And we joke about it, but I, you know, I still stand by the point. MKG did shoot better this season. You know, 34% from three. When you look at the totals, he's taken he took 40 more three-point attempts than he ever has in his NBA career. So 34% from three and shot the best he ever has from the free throw line except for the 2016-2017 season. You know, 77% from the free throw line, only on two attempts per game, so not a lot. And it was a decent shooting season for MKG. Not that that means anything for him going forward, but that that's basically the one thing that you could see him improve on maybe in his entire game. And so now if this is somebody that wants to have a starting job or just a role period 
on another basketball team, it looks like maybe his best option is to opt out of this contract. $13 million, he's not going to get that, but maybe if that's something that he values more, and I think we can all agree that it, it just might be something that he values more, that he can go to a different basketball team. Doug brought up a good point real quickly before we head to our last break. Doug, I thought, did bring up a good point when he mentioned that MKG's skill set is probably emphasized with a team that is pretty good at basketball. You know, I always compare him to the Andre Roberson, where it's a guy that can't shoot, but he is one of the better defenders. I think MKG could thrive in a role like that. I think when you look at MKG, that's what you're hoping for, is on a good basketball team, that's something that he can help you do best, is go be a really good defender and then play well in transition. But with the Charlotte Hornets, they just need something more, and of course it just doesn't work out with his contract, and so he just might move on for a better role a team that actually would put him in the rotation on a better basketball team. And, and you could certainly argue that that would be more attractive and bring him more happiness than the $13 million, although it's pretty hard to say that $13 million compared to, I don't know, a $5 million, $6 million deal that he would get out there annually with another team. Maybe it's just worth it to stick here around with the Charlotte Hornets. We appreciate you guys continuing to listen to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We'll take one more break and come back with some NBA playoff talk next on LOH Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. <laughs> now here's the funny part i was listening to this to prep it for the show and um my wife walks in and was like what are you yeah listening right, okay. to that's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context if you walk in and you start hearing that yeah that's darth vader i didn't have pants on that didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, that's... Um, it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast I can't get over that Damian Lillard shot, nor should you, by the way. That shot was absolutely incredible, and it gave us a fantastic meme. Hey, that picture is just amazing. Damian Lillard is king of the world right now. He rules the NBA world. Giannis Antetokounmpo can sweep the Detroit Pistons. Steph Curry and KD can put it to the Clippers after having that 31-point deficit go against them, but they can put them away and win, and nobody is able to take that crown away from Damian Lillard right now. The way that he was able to go at the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think a team that a lot of people thought was going to win despite being ranked in a lower seed. And Damian Lillard put the team on his back. C.J. McCollum played phenomenal as well. He played very good basketball. But this is a team without Nurkic, who I think a lot of people would argue was the second-best basketball player for the Portland Trailblazers this season. They lost Nurkic. You think, okay, well, Russell Westbrook can just exploit Enos Cantor on defense. No, just go at Enos Cantor. This is somebody that Billy Donovan himself, you guys have heard me say it a million times. I relate it to Billy Hurd and Gomez. He's Enos Cantor light. It's can't play Cantor. Can't stick with anybody. He's too much of a liability defensively. Russell Westbrook and Billy Donovan know that because you didn't play him against the Houston Rockets. Honestly, it was a time where you couldn't stop the Rockets anyway. Might as well should have put Enos Cantor out there to score a little bit on offense to help you in that Rockets series. But you didn't because of his defense. And yet Russell Westbrook's not attacking him every single possession down the court. And so now Russell Westbrook, you look at his playoff numbers. They're not very good. 
Russell Westbrook hasn't shot above 40% in the playoffs since you have to go back to 2015-2016, and that was him just shooting 40.5%. That's it. He shot 36% in the series. It's the third straight year that he's been bounced in the first round. And then, of course, you can compare this to James Harden and how heavily criticized he's been for his performances in the last few playoff appearances that he's had. James Harden has shot better than Russell Westbrook in every single postseason since 2014-2015. That's the last five appearances for each of these guys. He shot better from the field in every single one of those postseason appearances than Russell. And James Harden gets a lot of criticism. I'm not saying it's unwarranted. There's a lot of bad, inefficient shots that James Harden has taken in his playoffs and in playoff appearances the last few seasons. But James Harden has at least been above 40% in three of the last four trips. And that's including this one where he shot 37%. He's still got a series to make up for that. So he'll probably shoot above 40% once again. So now it's like, what do you do if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder? Because you got Russell Westbrook. You got Paul George. You got them on a couple of big boy contracts. You got Steven Adams on a big boy contract. They've got a lot of payroll eaten up by the players that are currently on that roster. Is it just as simple as getting a couple of shooters in there? It might be. I don't know. I I just, I have a hard time believing that that's all you have to do. You get a couple of shooters in there and Oklahoma City is a Western Conference title contender. Maybe with Golden State, maybe being a little bit more vulnerable if Kevin Durant leaves. But OKC's got some real questions to answer this offseason and I don't know what to do. Oh, it was a good job for Sam Presti to keep Paul George, party like Presti. I mean, that was a good decision for him to make. I think everybody was praising the job for OKC. But to get bounced in the first round for three straight seasons, one with Paul George on the team. And by the way, it hadn't gone to a seven-game series. It's not like any of the last three years have been extremely tight for OKC. You lose to Portland, who is a good basketball team, but again, they didn't have Nurkic. It was Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum coming off of injury, and they didn't have Nurkic, and you lose to them in five games. You lost last year, I believe, to Utah with Donovan Mitchell, who's a rookie and a good one, but he was a rookie last year leading that team. Rudy Gobert, yes, I'm not saying Utah wasn't a good basketball team, but OKC just giving them a six-game fight. Then you go to Houston a couple of years ago, just a five-game fight, It doesn't look good for OKC, and I'm not exactly sure what you do. And then you look at some of the other games. We'll look at some of the other series that were ended yesterday. A couple of them, one just still going when you have the Denver Nuggets and the San Antonio Spurs. Denver able to beat the Spurs 108-90 to yesterday. So the Denver Nuggets are going to continue to march on. Portland having that excellent buzzer beater from Damian Lillard. They're moving on. Philadelphia moving on. I was wrong about the Brooklyn Nets. I thought they would make that a lot better series than they actually did. They win 122 to 100. The Philadelphia 76ers beat Brooklyn 122 to 100. And then Toronto, they beat Steve Clifford and company. Steve Clifford, former Bobcats, former Hornets. They did a pretty good job in game one. It was all Toronto after the game one winner from DJ Augustine against the Toronto Raptors. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Also, make sure you check us out on the Himalaya Podcast app. Remember, Doug Branson sounds smarter when he appears on that. He needs all the help he can get. So again, the Himalaya Podcast app. You can check us out there as well. We have another player eval for tomorrow. Until then, have a good Wednesday.